The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, we discover the art of brewing, a festival happening at the Norman Rockwell Museum this weekend that celebrates the art surrounding the cans we crack open. Sure, take my lines. We'll be joined by Bailey Gervin, Norman Rockwell Museum Senior Development Officer and Festival Organizer, and local artist Dean Kiever, whose art you may have noticed on some of your brews. And we'll hang out with Atlas Farms Mobile Market as they make one of their weekly stops in Holyoke to see the impact local fresh produce can make for those who need it most. But first... Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Congressman Jim McGovern, from your Worcester Telegram and Gazette. On Tuesday, Governor Moore Healy declared a state of emergency due to the shortage of available shelter for refugees arriving in Massachusetts. I know the mayor of Worcester and the city manager there released a statement in support of that declaration. Other mayors in the area in your district, including the mayor of Greenfield, who have a huge uh, Haitian migrant group of families living right off the rotary there in Greenfield. There's close to 5,600 families currently housed in the emergency shelter system, 80% higher than a year ago. What's your take on the governor's decision to issue a state of emergency and how will the federal government intercede? This is after all, as much a federal problem as it is a state problem, if not more. Yeah, no, and, and I, I believe that the federal government ought to be providing states with more assistance to deal with the influx of migrants, quite frankly. This shouldn't just be a, a, a an expense that falls on the states, and we ought to treat these migrants with respect and, and in a humane way. And we ought to then start getting having a serious discussion about how we fix our immigration system. One is we need to reform our legal immigration system to help regularize the status of many of the people who are in this country. You know, and I visit businesses, manufacturing companies, uh, hospitals, I mean, hospitality industry. The first issue uh, that is raised to me is the lack of employees. We need more people to be working in these jobs. So, this, you know, we, we, we want to welcome as many people as we can so we can fill these jobs up and our economy can continue to grow. Secondly, we need to deal with why people are coming here. And we have to stop demagoguing this issue, you know, and just pointing fingers. You know, building a wall is a stupid, ridiculous waste of money. But we ought to look at our foreign policy in uh, Central and South America and, and the uh, Caribbean and to figure out whether or not we can play a more constructive role. And I've argued with the Biden administration, with the Trump administration, with the Obama administration, with the Bush administration, that that they are all ignoring uh, the realities uh, south of our border. I've I've argued many, many times um, on this uh, show and others that we ought to change our policy toward Cuba. We we were strangling and handling with this economic embargo uh, where, you know, people even with money, there's nothing to buy. So what do people do when they're desperate? They leave. Why don't we go back to the Obama policy, begin to lift lift these sanctions and, and begin normal trade with Cuba? I think that that would stem the number of Cubans coming to our border. Same with Venezuela. Look, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't like, I do not like uh, President Maduro, and I'm all for targeting and sanctioning individuals guilty of human rights abuses. But you have to punish the whole country in a way where people are fleeing. By the way, not just the United States. Millions of uh, Venezuelans are going to Colombia, uh, and Colombia is now dealing with uh, the refugee crisis. So let's just reexamine what we're doing in the world and 
maybe as we provide relief to states and uh, and communities in the short term, let's figure out what a long-term solution is. It has to be a change in our foreign policy, and it has to be, honest to goodness, immigration reform. Back to the idea of these refugees coming here and wanting and being willing to work right away, plus there is an employment crisis, along with a, a refugee crisis, and those two issues can't seem to match up. It seems like the biggest problem is paperwork. Is there anything that your office or the federal government can do to expedite the paperwork process to make it legal for them to start working, to start being taxpaying members of the community while they're being housed in a well, right to shelter re- state? That would require Congress to act. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, I, you know, just tune into the debate on any given day. Um, and it's, you know, demagogue city. You know, we, we could pass a bill to help make it easier to regularize the status of many of these people. I mean, obviously they go through background checks and all that other kind of stuff, but uh, if we can regularize their status, then they can apply for a job and work legally. They can pay taxes and contribute uh, you know, to the well-being of our, of our communities. But unfortunately, I serve with people who you know, do not distinguish between an asylum seeker or somebody fleeing because they can't survive economically in their home country or a, you know, a criminal. I mean, they just don't... It's, you know, the, the, the word immigrant, the word migrant, they have turned into a swear word. And it's really unfortunate because it has prevented us from getting anything done that, quite frankly, is in the benefit of everybody in this country. I mentioned that Massachusetts is a, a right to shelter state. Massachusetts is legally required to provide eligible families shelter through the emergency assistance program. It is a, at a huge cost. Um, there is a Republican representative who's running for state Senate, Peter Durant, who's calling for the Healy administration to file legislation to repeal Massachusetts' right to shelter law. Is that a direction that yeah. you think the yeah. Commonwealth should be going in in regards sure. to this crisis? No, no. I I mean, I mean, who are we as people? I mean, do, do we have any? Do we feel we have any obligation to be humane and compassionate when people come here? Sometimes fleeing the most horrific situations that you can imagine. I mean, that's not a solution. I mean, what, what that is, is 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 basically a pledge to make sure that people who come here, you know, end up living on the street. I mean, c- come on, l- l- let us work to deal with the immediate crisis. Let us press the federal government and the Biden administration to provide more direct assistance to states to deal with this. Let's work on real immigration reform and let us look at how we can be a more positive influence in the parts of the world where so many people feel compelled to leave. That's about solving the problem. I mean, versus, you know, let's just demagogue the issue uh, and beat up on people and just double down on the meanness. Speaking with Congressman Jim McGovern, McGoverning with McGovern, the second congressional district of Massachusetts representative in the House of Representatives, where debate on the farm bill has begun and SNAP, Supplemental uh, Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly food stamps, is once again up for debate. This comes after there was a huge debate and some concessions made in the raising of the debt ceiling earlier this year. It seemed like maybe uh, Republicans would then want to leave the SNAP issue aside. But no, with the farm bill, this is being debated again. And Speaker McCarthy has put his thumb on the scales to a certain degree in regards to this debate. You've said that he needs to stay out of this debate. Tell us what's been going on in regards to SNAP with the the debate behind the farm bill. Well, I voted against this budget agreement because it threw um, hundreds of thousands of people off the SNAP. And the argument to vote for it, we were told, was, well, this is the worst that we'll get. Uh, This is what everybody's agreeing to. Well, I don't trust Kevin McCarthy um, or the Trump wing of the Republican Party. And as soon as it 
you know, was signed into law by Biden, they're at it again. They want deeper cuts. So their word meant nothing, uh, essentially. And now they want to go into this program and throw millions of more people off the benefit. It is cruel. It is wrong. And you know what? We should extend the current farm bill until we can get a Congress that will actually do the right things. But the idea that uh, the farm bill should be used as a way to beat up on poor people is, is, is disgusting. And by the way, you know, we, we have a, an agricultural appropriations bill that was postponed, that was supposed to be brought up on the floor a couple of weeks ago. But in this bill, you know, they go after nutrition programs and they cut the WIC program, the Women's Infants and Children's Program. You know, this is a program that helps pregnant mothers get them nutrition so they can deliver healthy babies and helps young, young, young children so they can develop in a way uh, where they have a, a, you know, a, a good future, a healthy future. So this is kind of where they're going. And it is really, really unfortunate. And, he, and here's the deal. There are 12 appropriations bills that we need to enact. The Republicans have enacted one. The right wing is fighting with the extreme right wing right now. I mean, and how they can double down by loading it up with anti-immigrant stuff, with more anti-abortion stuff, with more anti-LGBTQ stuff. I mean, this is, we're, we're in crazy time now. And I think people have to understand that this is the time that we need to fight back in a meaningful way. We can't allow, allow this to stand. And if that means we have to postpone the farm bill, let's postpone the farm bill. Is that, a, farmers, is that a possibility? Would, would, is that something that the Congress is actually weighing, postponing this and extending the current farm bill? Well, we have extended it in the past when we haven't been able to get a you know majority behind a, um, a a farm bill. So it's not unprecedented. I don't know whether this Congress will do it. I mean, I'm sure Kevin McCarthy and the Freedom Caucus will want to find ways to hurt poor people. I mean, that's what that's their, that seems to be their MO right now. It, you can do it, whether they do it or not, I don't know. But I will tell you, I'm not vote for any farm bill that increases hunger in this country. And that doesn't recognize, quite frankly, the reality of small and medium-sized farms, like the ones that we have uh, in Massachusetts, uh, that right now we're suffering because of natural disasters. We, we, we need a farm bill that better understands the realities of farmers, not just in the Midwest where there are big mega industrial farms, but the farms in New England that are, that are small and medium sized. I, I did a, a farm tour with Congresswoman Shelley Pingree and some members of the Agriculture Committee in Maine a week ago. I mean, their farmers aren't very different from our farmers, uh, but their, their needs are, are not addressed adequately in the current formulation of the farm bill. So we have a lot of work to do and I'm dedicated to making sure we get it done in a way that quite frankly doesn't betray our values. We are one month away from uh, those floods that decimated so many of the farms in Western Mass. Last week on the show, we had Dan Smirowski from the USDA talking about the loans that the USDA has made available. But again, that's money that these farmers would have to pay back. We did hear some good news yesterday from the Community Foundation of Western Mass in regards to how generous the community has been through a fund through the United Way of Central Mass. And some of that money will begin to go out next week it looks like. Um, is there a possibility in this farm bill where there could be actual direct relief to farmers in, in the form of grants as opposed to the form of loans? I, I think we, 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 need to, uh, we need to look at, um, one is we need to change the farm bill so there, there are more loans in general available to our farmers, but we need to look at whether or not there can be some sort of emergency designation in the supplemental appropriations bill uh, to provide more direct relief to our farmers. 
But I've been working with the United Way with our local state legislative delegation. We are, um, I, I've been calling every wealthy foundation that I know to try to raise money for this, for the fund for our farmers. Uh, I, I think we're, we're going to be planning uh, the state legislative delegation myself. And others will be playing maybe a, a, a community event in a couple of weeks. We'll announce once we have it all set uh, so people can come and, and everybody can help out. You know, every little bit helps. But we need to get direct assistance to our farmers. The loan stuff, farmers don't want any more loans. They're loaned up to their eyeballs. Right. They don't need any more loans. The only advantage is whether you can refinance existing loans and consolidate them at a lower interest rate. Which if is part of the that, USDA plan. Right. If you could do that, there is a benefit to farmers for that, uh, and, and, and because they will end up paying out less on a monthly basis, so that is the you know so that is help, helpful. And Dan has been great, and we love him, and, and he's like he gets it. He's a, he is a farmer himself. Yeah. Um, and so we are you know we are working with them every which way. But in the short term, this United Way fund is is it, we, we this is a, an easy way to just raise enough money, get some money out to farmers immediately. You introduced an act that I talked about last week that I love to make fun of and will continue to today. It's the Plant Act, the Peas, Legumes, and Nuts Today Act. I saw uh, after the announcement on your social media that uh, lots of vegans and vegetarians seem very grateful for this. A lot of other people think that this is Soylent Green. Um, It will be made of people and that this is a huge communist conspiracy to force farmers to plant specific things. Can you talk a little bit, though, specifically? specifically about what this yeah. plant act would yeah, do yeah, yeah. in the actual text of the act as opposed to the yeah, maybe histrionics yeah. on social media? Right, yeah. And by the way, it also means just making sure people have access to more vegetables. I mean, I don't know what's so radical about that. But this is basically provides support for local farmers and for, you know, uh, those who are trying to better push forward this notion that plant-based diets are actually good for you. And so it provides more assistance to help with that. It, I, look at I, I, you know, I drink milk and I love steak. I mean, and I will for the rest of my life. This is not about saying that, you know, those things are important and we need to continue to support farmers, you know, who do all kinds of stuff. So it's not like pitting one thing against the other, but it's an acknowledgement that we really haven't invested enough uh, in this idea. Again, I'm not bashing meat because I like meat. But the idea is that we need more balance in our diet. You know, that's where the science tells us. And so when people say soylent green, well, give me a break. I mean, come on. You know, we all complain about the high cost of health care. What's driving the high cost of health care, quite frankly, is poor diets. I mean, that's just a fact. And we all need to do better, myself included. And it's hard to change when you are older. (laughs) But if we can start helping people understand what balance is and the importance of vegetables and if people want to be vegan, that's wonderful, right? I mean, but, you know, we, we need to support all of you, but other countries are doing this. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, we're, we're all saying that, you know, that we have to have vegan-based corned beef or whatever for St. Patrick's Day. If people want that, they should have the op- option to get it. If they don't, they should get regular corned beef. I'll get the regular corned beef. But this is a way to support kind of this emerging research and this uh, emerging industry that uh, I think has great promise and can also help with lowering healthcare costs. 
That's Congressman Jim McGovern, who's just introduced the peas, legumes, and nuts today. <laughs> act, the plant act, uh, uh, not made of people, uh, not Soylent Green, uh, uh, yeah, but it's vegetables. <laughs> and may have a hard time getting through the Congress one way or the other anyway at this yeah. point. But the Congressman joins us every week. If you have got a question for the Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Jim McGovern, you can send us an email at thefab413 at nepm.org. Thanks as always, Congressman. All the best. Be safe. On the way, it's not just what's in your glass that matters as we dig into the Art of Brewing, a beer festival that celebrates the art inside and outside of the glass or can. But next, we'll head to Holyoke to hear how the Housing Authority is paired up with Atlas Farms to make a mobile produce oasis for some of its food deserts. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. I want to make a plug for hip because hip is cool. Dude, for sure. Hip is awesome. You all are yeah. fairly versed. Hip is we're, yeah. we're, hip, we're that. hip to that. We okay. are hip to hip. What is hip? We're here at the Tower of Power. <laughs> we're here for another local hero spotlight with Jacob Nelson from CESA, Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, the local hero folks. And what's your name? Justine Sabs. I am the Director of Resident Services from Holyoke Housing Authority. And we're in front of one of the buildings that Holyoke Housing Authority is the authority for, the Zelensky Apartments. That was a, like the record time naming it after the president of Ukraine. Oh no, it's not that It's not that Zelensky. I was like, wow, this is a little wow, pre- that's, yeah. that is premature. Some solidarity real yeah. fast. Yeah, Different right. Zelensky. Yes. 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 Spelled differently. <laughs> and we're awaiting the arrival of the Atlas Farm mobile market. Atlas Farm, a farm that I drove by from from my house um, in Turner's Falls on 5 and 10 in South Deerfield, but who has their mobile market that shows up in Greenfield and Turner's Falls and Miller's Falls and here in Holyoke. You got it. So how did your relationship begin with Atlas Farms, Justine? So we, Atlas Farm reached out to us a few years ago and they were applying for a pretty substantial grant and wanted to do a little additional outreach in kind of urban kind of food desert type areas. So we jumped at it. They had a really good idea, had fresh, local, organic produce, accepted SNAP, which is huge for our, our residents. Supplemental and Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as Food Stamps. You got it, exactly. So our, our involvement started kind of slow. We did a couple pilot spots, and then ever since then, now we're at four stops a week at four of our properties, so we've really worked our way up. And this is one of the stops it here is. on Walnut Street. Okay. And first stop, eh? Yes, first stop. First, first yep. stop of the day. The only Holyoke stop for us on Tuesdays. Atlas Farm comes to Holyoke on Wednesdays, but they go to the Hoyoke Medical Center, which is great. So they have kind of a mini farmer's market there. And then they come to our housing authority properties on Fridays. So they stop at Falsetti Towers at 475 Maple Street, which is an elderly only building. We get a huge turnout. Uh, Rosary Towers uh, on 21 Bower Street and Coughlin Apartments at the other end of Walnut at 300 Walnut. So we've been thrilled. We were talking about SNAP, which is a federal program, mm -hmm. yeah. and HIP, which was originally seeded with federal money, but now is a state-run program. Tell us what HIP is for those who don't know. HIP stands for the Healthy Incentives Program, um, and it's been around here in Massachusetts for, I think, like over five years now, and year-round for a couple years, which is really cool. I feel like it's a secret that shouldn't be a secret. It would be way cool if way more people knew about HIP and could use HIP. Stops being HIP if too many people know about no, it. No, no, no! 
it starts being more hip. More Come join us at the hip party. Snap and hip. It's that. dancing for vegetables. Yes. yes. Snap and hip sounds like what I do every <laughs> night at Kung Fu. <laughs> so hip, what that means is if you have snap and you live in Massachusetts, you automatically have hip. Depending on your household size, you have between 40 and $80 each month that you can spend on locally grown fruits and vegetables at a vendor that accepts hip. You don't have to do anything extra to apply for that, you automatically have it. For a family of one, that's almost $500 a year for free that you can spend on locally grown produce. For a family of five, that's almost $1,000, right? And it's real easy to use, okay? Three steps. One, you find a vendor or a location that accepts hip. Oftentimes, these are farmer's markets or farm stands. Mobile markets from Atlas. <laughs> like we have right now, that are pulling up right oh, now. Here it comes, it's like when the ice cream man shows up. <laughs> so if you don't happen to be with us here this morning at Zielinski Apartments, you can also go to buylocalfood.org slash hip map, and we have a map of all the different locations in our region that accept hip. Step two, you pay for your produce with your EBT card, and step three, you don't even have to do step three. They put that money right back on your card to spend again on other other food that you need. So if you come to the mobile market or any of place that accepts HIP and you use your EBT card, which is your debit card for SNAP, your food stamps card, yep. and you buy $40 worth of vegetables from them, it's like you didn't pay for the vegetables. Right. Because magically, like magically $40 is reimbursed to your card. Free local produce for you. It is to incentivize you to eat healthy. It is the healthy incentive program. <laughs> And so if you have SNAP, I would encourage you to use HIP. If you don't have SNAP, the things you can do, you can tell everyone about this so more people know about this and use this. Um, and you can advocate for continued state funding for this program and for more HIP stops. Because one of the cool things about Atlas Farm Mobile Market is they are greatly increasing the amount of HIP access points here in Holyoke just with their stops. We need, hopefully in the future, to have more places that people can use this. And Justine used the word food desert, which means that there's not easy access to fresh local produce within, say, walking distance. This is making an oasis right in the middle of the desert here on Walnut Street in Holyoke. We're watching it. All right, so we've watched the, we've watched the blue minibus, which is the Atlas Mobile Market, roll in. It's also got uh, lettering in Spanish on there, Mercado en Movimiento, which is great. Some hand-painted signs about how they take EBT credit and cash and that they accept WIC and the Healthy Incentives Program. I'm going to talk to you while you set up a table. What's your name? I'm Megan Williams. I'm the food access manager at Atlas Farm. Tell us about Atlas Farm, because it's a farm, but it's a big farm. And I know Atlas has done a lot of work towards food insecurity uh, with their relationship with the Food Bank of Western Mass and some of the other food pantries. So first tell us about how big of a farm Atlas is. Atlas Farm is about 120 acres right now. Some of that's owned and some of that's leased land. Mm -hmm. But all across from Sunderland up to Deerfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does it transition from a farm that's just growing vegetables and trying to make a living, which is hard enough for farmers, especially when you have a year like this where everything's underwater, to a farm with a mission and a bus that's going to Holyoke multiple times a week? So it's always been within the mission of Atlas Farm to provide uh, organic produce to all members of the community, but it's really with HIP, the Healthy Incentives Program, that we're able to bring organic, local and non-local produce to members of the community at no cost to the shopper. 
Where did the bus come from? Oh, actually, I can see it through your paint. I'm gonna it's take a, a picture. Oh, it's it's yeah, it's an old Worcester Transit van. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah Central you... Mass Transit. We got the bus last year. Oh, yeah. Wow. So this is our second year with the bus, and it's been three years we've been working with the Holyoke um, Housing Authority. We did pop-up markets with them in 2020. It's so much cooler to have a bus though. So much. so much cooler. Yeah, you've got shelves yeah. built into the bus, and so it looks like a beautiful, you know, farmer's market stand inside the bus. So when people start coming, as they have, yeah. they're going to yeah. go, are they going to go in the bus, come it's out of the bus? Mini, or It's a mini market on wheels. Yeah. Hola, buenos dias. So I see they've got potatoes. They've got corn. Watermelon this week. Nice. Peaches, blueberries. Collards. Yeah. Lettuce. Cabbage. Yeah. Chard. Plantains we've got. What? Oh, nice. Atlas is really very accommodating to requests made by our tenants for certain kind of specific produce items that they're used to eating. Um, so they, you know, tenants come and make a request and may not understand that, you know, bananas are a, long, a non-local, you know, source of produce, but they still make it happen. They really give the people what they ask for. We're supplementing local produce with non-local produce that people have requested, like lemons and citrus, plantains, avocados when we can get them, yeah. things like that. Yep. As well as... A additional produce from other farms in the area as well. About how many people do you think the Atlas Farm Mobile Market will serve in a, uh, in a given week? I'm Rachel Labrie. I'm the mobile market assistant. <laughs> Does the assistant know the answer to that question? Yes, I would. I, well, not specifically, but I would guess around 60 to 80 people. Uh -huh. It really depends. Some days are way busier than others, but Wednesdays are our busiest days with the connection with the Holyoke Medical Center. Uh -huh. And is that just because it's more centralized location and more people show up there rather than going to a single It is a farmer's market, market on Wednesday. Wednesday at the Holyoke Med Medical Center. Oh, okay, so it's an addition yeah. to the farmer's market. Yes. Oh, that's so great. So other farms besides, besides your market are at the medical center when that happens, or is it just you? There's a couple other produce vendors, yeah, and Crave from downtown Holyoke has Love been that. there the last, but we've been getting great, I mean, there's staff, like hospital staff, obviously, but we've been getting great turnout from the public as well, and people going to their medical appointments and coming down to the market. So it's been a surprise win. Yeah. Justine from the Holyoke Housing Authority, what are you hearing from the people that are living in the Holyoke Housing Authority about getting this new access to this type of food? Yeah, the, we've gotten excellent feedback from the tenants, and I think the consistent weekly visits you know, really show that we're engaged and we're committed. And um, like I said, if, if they have a request for something particular, especially someone who might be mobility impaired or may not have you know, a huge budget for food, and they ask Megan or Rachel, and they'll do their best to get it for them. So we've gotten excellent feedback. Talking on Walnut Street in front of the Zelinsky Apartments, the Holyoke Housing Authority at the Atlas Farm Mobile Market. Jacob Nelson of CISA. I wanted to ask you, Megan, you were mentioning beforehand this year in particular, you've almost doubled the amount of stops that you're making. I'm curious, what has enabled that growth? So we have lots of different partnerships. We've got partners that help us to host, and then we also have some additional funding partners. So the Franklin Regional Council... Franklin Regional Council of Governments, the yep. FURCOG, yeah. which is the cutest little cog. Do you want to cuddle it? <laughs> Has it got a name, Dad? Yeah, Mogwai. The Franklin Regional Council of Governments and the Holyoke Food and Equity Collective also has provided funding for us this year. And most of your stops are in Greenfield, Montague, Writ Large, Turner's Falls, Miller's Falls, and here in Holyoke? That's correct, yeah. So we're focusing on the Holyoke area and right now Greenfield and Montague mm -hmm. area. We have about 12 stops this year. Has the flooding affected your ability to make enough produce to keep 
the mission going or how has the flooding affected Atlas Farm? That's a good question. So the flooding has definitely affected um, lots of farms in the area, but because we're able to purchase um, and the model was always to purchase outside produce to supplement Atlas produce, we have, um, you can see, we've got quite a variety on the bus um, still despite the flooding. And all of the farms are tagged on the labels too. So like you can tell that the beans are all from Warner Farm and I'm sure that there's more inside too. Spreading the love around. Yeah, the corn is from Warner Farm. That'll be a maze in a month or so. (laughs) Not that corn. (laughs) Riverland Farm. Oh, next barn over. How's it going guys? Getting anything good today? It is, it is too full for us to all fit in to take a peek at the same time. It is bustling. There's also too many people around for us to really have easy access to Megan. Which is excellent. Which is excellent. And Khalees is now helping customers with their produce. Oh, yeah. We ask for melons, you get melons. Enjoy your melon. What's the second language on on the li- on the Russian? Oh. We have a Hi, are you? Moldovian <laughs> dialect. It's Russian. It's yeah. There's I a huge Moldovan not. population yes. in Greenfield. Yes. I know. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important as we talk about why the Atlas Farm mobile market and mobile markets like it are important to take a step back and think about how food access and housing access are related and how they interact with each other. And I'm, I'm just struck by, you know, most of the places that the mobile market stops are in connection with healthcare organizations or housing organizations, service organizations of some kind. How are you seeing these things interplay and both help the same types of people? Sure. Justine Sepp from the Holyoke Housing Authority. Big one. That's a big <laughs> one. So, I mean, I come from a world of housing, right? I've been with the Housing Authority now for 10 years. And to us, housing should be a basic human right in the same way that food access does in the same way healthcare does. So it's not a surprise to me that all those things are intermingled, right? And I think as a service organization, right, we didn't just want to be a landlord here in the city, and we are probably the largest landlord, but we wanted to make sure that we did a little bit more and made sure that people had access right at their doorstep if possible to things that are kind of kind of better their quality of life. So for us, like I said, our partnership with Atlas Farm is a no-brainer. It brings fresh, local, organic produce to the front doorstep of some folks who are, most folks who are on a really limited budget, might be, have mobility or transportation issues, um, like I said, in a food desert for the most part, outside of little bodegas. Um, so for us, it's it's that's all encompassing, right, for people to have equitable access to all these things. We are really thrilled and I hopefully it'll be a model for other folks as they kind of see how it plays out because it's not a heavy lift for us right we do the advertising we really try to get the word out there but it's about the folks who who see that they come back every single week and And that they exactly you'll see folks kind of come from around the corner and they're like oh you coming back again so it's huge that every single week outside of a natural disaster they show up (laughs) so that's huge for other farms that are looking to start I mean like I guess this is a question for the two of you because both of both you, Jacob Nelson, and, and both you of Atlas Farm would know. If other farms are large enough, I know this is maybe not the year because of the flooding and the damage, but if other farms are looking to do outreach of this sort, what programs should they look at? Like, who should they look to bear at? Like, with housing authorities, with other community groups, how does one start? I mean, I think it's really important to reach out to the different community organizations. Holyoke has a really good resource network, so does the Frank 
Franklin County area. And so I've been um, kind of tapping into that resource network and learning from other resource providers. So healthcare, other nonprofits, um, and uh, the housing authorities to see what does the community need? Where would we best reach the people? Where should we have stops? That sort of thing. So I think really reaching out to the community is the first place to start. If you ask the state, will they also give you a bus? I would like, that would be great. (laughs) Hey state, give the farms buses. I mean, we don't get anything from the MBTA. We could at least get the leftover buses. I mean, the MBTA is also not getting anything now. So, I mean, maybe they're not the ones to ask right now either. From a business perspective though, taking SNAP and HIP, this is good for financially for Atlas Farm too. Like, I mean, it's not like a a fully philanthropic endeavor. There's a a way to make this sustainable as a business too. Or is it? Am I wrong about that? Our goal is to break even this year. Yeah. You don't lose money, so that's good. Our goal is to not lose money. (laughs) (laughs) Full disclosure, Atlas Farms and CESA are both underwriters of NEPM. Up next, grab your grains and your graphite. We're talking about the art of brewing happening this weekend at the Norman Rockwell Museum with festival organizer Bailey Gervin and local artist Dean McKeever. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. This Saturday, August 12th, the return of the Art of Brewing Festival at the Norman Rockwell Museum. Craft brews, hot food, truck cuisine, and a celebration of this creative illustration art, illustrative art that brings craft beer cans, bottles, and other brewed products packaging to life. Joining us is the graphic artist and designer and now legendary beer can designer, Dean McKeever, a.k.a. Keever, who was yes. born in Western Mass, earned Correct. his B... Okay, we can do this like a questionnaire. <laughs> earned his BFA in 2008 from UMass Dartmouth? <laughs> you got me on the spot. <laughs> That's what they all Correct. say! <laughs> uh, and now lives in East Longmeadow. Sounds good. That where sounds he good. works at his home as a freelance illustrator. We're also joined by Bailey Gervin, Norman Rockwell Museum Senior Development Officer and Festival Organizer. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I mean, it's easy to talk to people who are excited about beer because beer festivals are kind of the best. But this one's really fun (laughs) in particular because it is looking at the things that catch our eye to make us enjoy new beer, if that's the thing that you're into. How did you get into I mean, this seems like a real niche area to have your art. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the the simple story is that I just reached out to a, a local brewery, Treehouse Brewing. Um, at the time, they were based in Munson, Mass. and um, Out of a barn. Out of a barn. Yeah. Yep. And um, uh, I just reached out to their sort of general uh, email inbox on their website and um, said, hey, I have um, some artwork for you to look at. I think it might be a good uh, you know, match for the style that you're trying to go for. And what do you think? And they got back to me and, you know, the rest is history. So so the logo that people may know, the treehouse logo, the windswept tree yes. with the treehouse in it, um, that's not you. That was not me, no. But everything else that For, we've seen as of late is you, right? Well, they they do. They've, you know, as most people probably know, they've exploded over the past few years. <laughs> yes. Multiple locations. They have um, a giant complex in South Deerfield. They now. have a giant <laughs> complex everywhere, it <laughs> yeah. seems like, uh, but, which means they now have a giant staff, which is great. So they do have an in-house team um, uh-huh. assisting with a lot of the uh, other labels since they're always cranking out 
so many different beers and styles. Um, but I have um, done literally hundreds of labels for them since um, about over the past eight years or so. Um, so, and I still am, you know, continuing to work for them. Um, for example, one of their uh, lines of beers is called the Curiosity Series. It's like mm-hmm. a um, exploratory um, kind of ongoing series. I've uh, we're on like one thirty three now, and my first one for them was eighteen. So, wow! Um, <laughs> and I've done other labels for them, so it's a, they're just you know uh, a really great uh, brewery to work for. So. And you're not, they're not the only brewery that you work with. You, I, I reached out to one of my beer friends, Beer Mike, shout out, Cooper's in uh, Florence, which is a great beer store. And I like going in there and seeing all these incredibly dynamic yeah. beer labels. And I said, Dean McKeever's coming in today. And like, to, I knew he would know who you are. That's very <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody who designs art for beer cans yeah. is a name that people would know without any other context. Well, it sounds like he's a true beer bro. He is. Yeah. 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 So I, I think my, my, my name, especially my artist name, Kiever, you know, I dropped the MC for my artist name and <laughs> my Instagram handle. They, a lot of the beer fans know Kiever and, you know, so like I'll go do pop-ups and stuff. Um, people go, are you, are you Kiever? It's like, that's, that's me, man. It's like, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I will direct you to our, our, Dearly beloved and departed show Connecting Point, who came and did yeah. stuff at your studio, and yes. we see you at markets where you now you've got these beautiful glasses yeah. too that you're like hand painting. So in actually, the, same the, style. the footage from that was taken from the Art of Brewing Festival last year. Uh-huh. Aha! Yeah. Well, yeah. that so. brings us right around segways, to it then. Segways. Yes. Yep. So Bailey Gervin from the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge. What makes the, you know, Norman Rock, Rockwell, Super Americana, what makes uh, the Norman Rockwell Museum say, you know what we need to do, a beer festival, but about the art of the can, as well as what's inside the can? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people might not realize that we're also the Museum of American Illustration Art. So in addition to Norman Rockwell, we are trying to highlight all of these amazing illustrators who have been influenced and inspired by him. And I don't want to put Dean on the spot, but I think he might uh, include himself in in that category. Uh, Uh, But uh, but, uh, this came about because I think when we look at uh, the start of the event and we're on our fifth year we sort of saw this movement taking place where artists were being commissioned to create this beautiful label art not just in beer but for cideries for wineries all kinds of products and uh illustration art is the people's art and what uh, speaks to that more than having art within your grasp and literally in your hand through <laughs> your beer can. And there will be beer at there this be. festival. A lot of our favorite uh, breweries, Berkshire Brewing Company will be there, Berkshire Mountain Distillers, the brewery at Four Star, Treehouse we mentioned, Amherst Brewery, Amagang. The list goes on and on and on. And then there's uh, all sorts of other fun and activities that will be happening at the festival, right? Bailey? Yes, yes, yeah. It's uh, grown every year. This is our biggest year yet. We have uh, 19 vendors who will be sampling their personal art uh, through their beers, their cocktails, their ciders. And uh, we'll have food trucks. Everyone's bringing their art uh, either in the form of their label art, uh, brand art, graphic design. It's just... um, 
like you said, it's a it's a beer tasting, but with a little bit of a twist in that we're really trying to highlight the art that's on the cans and the art that's in the cans together. We're speaking with Bailey Gervin from the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, as well as graphic artist Dean McKeever, who is very well known in the world of beer can art. Yeah. I know when, like, they're, so we're looking at beer can and, and bottle art as its own thing. When you're booking or looking for partners in breweries and cideries and wineries to come and participate in this, are you specifically looking at art that appeals to you on their bottle before you talk to them about coming in and participating? Yeah, is it the art first or the beer first? Oh, that's a great question. It's a little bit of it's a little bit of both. So it definitely started with the art first. That was what appealed to us um, as I mean, of course, as an as an art museum. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's not necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be the case. The beer could easily come first. And then you're like, huh, let's walk this back. How do I connect these two? There is in a beer a can well, museum in Northampton, right? So, yeah, yeah there is a literal beer can museum. <laughs> I'm going there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> sorry to, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so this is Dean's third year with us. Uh, coming to the festival and that was a true just uh, convergence of the <laughs> of the thesis of this whole event in that uh, he's a great artist I was familiar with his work because I have been visiting Treehouse since <laughs> they have been in that small cabin in Munson before they even did their cans right. so then when uh, Dean had started uh, creating the art for the cans I was pretty familiar with his work and I think I read an article uh, about uh, the fact that he lives in East Longmeadow and he's this local artist doing all of this great work for Treehouse and other breweries. And I live in Longmeadow. And I was like, gotta, gotta get this guy here. It's it's Treehouse and it's Dean. We're we're gonna come together. So, uh, you know, that's just one example of how how we came to have Treehouse at the event, and uh, perhaps most importantly, Dean himself. And they are all going to be there. Dean McKeever is going to be there at the event this Saturday. Treehouse is going to be there. A bunch of other breweries, food trucks, and more. We're going to talk more about beer, more about illustration. Illustration as art coming up in just a little bit with Dean McKeever and Bailey Gervin, who are part of the Art of Brewing Festival happening Saturday at the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Cleese Smith. We're speaking with Dean McKeever and Bailey Gervin, who are part of the Art of Brewing Festival happening in Stockbridge at the Norman Rockwell Museum this Saturday. Dean McKeever is a very well-known beer can artist. Yes. And Norman Rockwell was an illustrator who some people questioned whether what he was doing was art. And yet there is that a Norman... That doesn't make any sense it, at all. It's true, though. I mean, he was, <laughs> no, right? you know, subjected to that sort of critique. Yeah. I mean, there are several things that people say on this show that just don't make sense to me, and that's one of them. Yeah. That's a, that's a weird one. Isn't that's a it? bold statement. Right? <laughs> Especially now looking back on it. But when, you know, he's writing in the, or illustrating in the Saturday Evening Post, yeah. people may question whether that's art. The Eric Carle Museum, in the same way, celebrates mm. children's book art as right. art in a way that countries like Japan have done for a long time, but has this taken this country a long time to come around to. Is what you're doing art? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, wake up every day thinking about art and go to 
bed every night thinking about art, and usually it's beer labels. So <laughs> I'd like to think it's art because it's pretty much all I think about. So. Well, I mean, if you go to great beer stores now, I've I've said here and uh, off the air to you yeah. too, Dean, you feel like you're kind of walking through a mini art museum with yeah, all absolutely. the great labels. Yeah. Do you often have to do art for beer you don't like? Um, I, beer I don't like. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs> I guess beer styles maybe, but, um, it's, it's all cool to me just to, you know, put my, uh, il- you know, illustrations and artwork onto the packaging and see it walk out of the brewery or see it on the shelves and Whole Foods and stuff like that. It's, it's just always exciting for me. So. I've seen your stuff on a lot of like, so Treehouse and Vanish Valley, especially mm-hmm. whose art for them like is the one I'm most familiar of yours oh, and cool. I think is really really great oh thanks but um is there something in particular about doing it for local breweries as opposed to people further out which I know you've also done but... yeah um not not so much I mean I of course love to work with local places that I can actually go to and visit and paint murals in and do pop-ups in and stuff but um yeah you know like I like you said I've I've worked with breweries and I'm working with one right now in Denmark I've collaborated with one in Brazil uh Canada all over the place so um, I'm a freelance artist so really like anything I can get my hands on art wise I, I will take and especially if it's a really cool brewery that puts good beer has good reputation like I would never say no to collaborating with them do they send you samples yes <laughs> do you get unlimited beers if you've designed the label? Uh, um, no. Well, it depends. No. <laughs> no with small caveats. Yeah. It, little, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I'll get a four pack or, you know, like vitamin C brewing up in uh, Weymouth. Like they, he'll hook me up. My, my my dude Dino that owns it. Like when I go out there, because it's a couple hours away. So it's a little, bit of a, a little bit of a journey, but he always sends me home with a goodie bag. Because that's hard to get right here right now, right? Yeah. 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 That's so, what Beer Mike at Cooper's was lamenting. That's what he wanted right. to talk about. Yeah, well, Tell Dean McKeever that. We gotta get yeah vitamin well, C out here. Yeah, beer Mike knows what's good then. <laughs> vitamin C, they're they're killing it for sure. So. <laughs> is it hard to be an artist who's doing something that is clearly a part of marketing to make the products that you're marketing from vitamin C versus Treehouse versus Vanish Valley different enough, but mm. yet still feel like they're part of your art? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's something I really work hard on is to right off the bat with a brewery, um, establish a sort of style guide to set them apart from one another, like you said. Um, and as being just, you know, one artist, I have to work hard at, you know, allowing the customer to decipher between one label from another. Mm -hmm. So I like to think that each brewery I collaborate with has its own sort of unique thing going on with the, with the overall vibe of the artwork. What other illustrators are coming to the Art of Brewing Festival, Bailey? Primarily Dean. <laughs> we've, we've really loved highlighting his work the past couple of years, um, especially because he does work with these two really prominent names, Treehouse and Vanished Valley. Um, and he is always good about bringing his awesome glassware, which I'm told I'm not allowed to acquire another piece this year because oh. <laughs> our shelf is you, getting you are, too getting full. One. What if you were Do given not... another piece? I, so is that acquiring? <laughs> I'll sneak you one. Uh, Don't let these people crush your joy. (laughs) All right. We'll talk about that offline, Dean. Yeah. yeah, So uh, we've had all of the brewers bring 
their art, though, in some form. Uh, I think of Gary Bogoff immediately from Berkshire Brewing. They've gone through a couple iterations of their brand, and uh, they had an artist originally design their labels. They kind of veered away from that design when Gary became solo owner of Berkshire Brewing, and now he's getting back into that uh, illustrative style uh, featuring Gary and his son on those labels. So um, Gary's really great about bringing that progression of the, brand, of the brand to show people. And I think that's another really interesting uh, example of, of how brands evolve with artists. Speaking of said art evolving, we have a question from our engineer. How many designs have you done for the alcohols says phil the alcohols the alcohols like total across the board oh man dean mckeever yes uh man um i would probably guess at least low end 500 wow high end double that (laughs) (laughs) what are some other things that you're designing that are not alcohol based are you just like i'm gonna i'm the king of all alcohol design so i mean (laughs) that and also uh (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, uh, do um, labels for Levia uh, Cannabis Seltzer. They're based in Mass. Um, So I'm trying to break into that that industry more. I'm trying to get into gig posters more, you know, for um, show posters. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And um, I also, my wife and I co-own a glassware business. So it's beer glassware, back to the beer thing. Uh (laughs) Um, And she and I collaborate on ideas and stuff. And we actually get my designs applied to collectible beer glassware that people can buy on our website or in person. I'm going to be popped up with it at the uh, Art of Brewing Festival on Saturday. So. I think it's great that you've got this whole career basically out of just reaching out to Treehouse, who would then go on to explode to be yeah. one of the most renowned beers in the country and say, what if I do a little bit of something for you? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's I, I, I like to think of it as my uh, Saturday evening post. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what a great segue, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't be better than that because <laughs> Dean is going to be at the Norman Rockwell Museum this Saturday for the fifth annual Art of Brewing Festival. It seems like it's going to be a really fun event. It's uh, I can't tell you how much it is. I almost did, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you should check that out on their website. It's wrm.org. NRM. NRM. Oh, whoops. Yeah. yeah NRM.org. I know how to spell Norman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bailey Gervin, for coming on and telling us a little bit about this festival, the fifth annual, the biggest one yet, with all sorts of wonderful brews, including many that we talked about. I also today. love that in your tiered ticketing system, you have for members and not yet members. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe there'll be some new members. I'm ever hopeful that people will get stay, get and stay connected. <laughs> and Dean McKeever, who is, uh, I don't know, the... Uh, the pie in the George Washington of beer can labels. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> There's got to be okay. something better. Yeah. Chuck Berry of beer can I, labels. I like it. I don't Bold know. statements yeah. across the board. I We're know. here for it. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'm taking my firstborn off to college. Oh. I'm gonna cry. Yes, you are. Right into your wine, as we've got a Thunderdome waiting for you in the Berkshires with Dare Bottle Shop and provisions in Lenox. We'll also be at the Norman Rockwell Museum on Indeed. Saturday. Lots of searches on right now for docents at the Springfield Museums. We'll chat with folks involved with the docent program and see if we've got what it takes to join in. And live music Friday with Aaron McKeown, who is teaming up with the trustees of the Reservation for Scenic Songs. A hiking concert happening this weekend 
Brandon Windsor. Our director is Tony the Mind Killer Dunn. Our engineer is Betsy the Little Obliteration Lengto. Our technical team is Bart permitted to pass through Rankin, Kara the Inner Eye Foster, and Punk Rude Boy Dubay. Thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Jay Giles Band, Tower Power, Suitcase Junket, Robbie Robertson, and the band. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413. Mm-hmm.